G'day, and welcome to episode 116 of the Packervy Podcast. My name is Hayden Thompson, and today, Devin Powell, who is the GM at Pulp and Press, joined me to chat about the challenges and opportunities of running a growing business in the health and wellness sector, the importance of balancing work and family life as a business leader, and also some insights into building a strong team, including a little on hiring strategy. This was a really fun conversation with Devin. It was packed, and I think that you'll find that a lot can be taken away from this one, especially due to Devin's approach to business and life. Now, Devin was also extremely generous in offering you all 20% site-wide on uh, their products when you use the Pack Heavy podcast code being PackHeavy20. So head on down to the show notes and you'll find the link and everything you need to get some fresh juice into your hands. Now, for those of you new to the show, I do like to chat about Food Pack, which is the packaging company located here in BC that I work for. At Food Pack, this might sound a little biased, but we do a damn good job helping CBG companies and food processors with their packaging and packaging equipment. Now, I've been thrilled to have helped quite a lot of my guests here on the podcast with either stock bags or custom printed bags and films, as well as packaging equipment like Cipramac vacuum chamber machines, Plexpack band sealers, repack tray sealers, and thermoformers. We also have a showroom at our Richmond HQ where you can see everything in action and run your product through for proof of concept or shelf life studies. Plus, we have an in-house tech and service team to ensure that everything runs smoothly out in the world for our clients. So if you're looking for some new packaging solutions for your food products or want me to evaluate your current packaging program, definitely head on over to the Food Pack website through the show notes down below. Uh, you can learn more about what we offer and then reach out to me directly at Hayden at thepackoffeepodcast.com and we can take it from there. All right, let's get stuck into it. I hope you all enjoy episode 116 with Devin Powell. Devin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Hayden. Mate, we were just saying before we kicked off, uh, we had to reschedule a few times, so it's actually really nice to make it happen. Finally, yeah, having kids can throw those wrenches in your plans, <laughs> and you know it's all part of the all part of the deal, right? That you sign up Isn't for, it? you decide to have kids. It's yeah, you know, you got to go with what their plans are, and what it. our plans are. Yeah, that's I right. know, I know. Even with a uh, a full time career, you know, sometimes you have to have some flexibility in there too. Yeah, yeah. Mate, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, obviously, you've got some pretty cool things going on at Pulp and Press. Um, I'm not extremely familiar with the business because it is uh, based over in Toronto and I'm based over here in Vancouver. So I'd love to sort of dig into all of that with you today. But before we get started, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Yeah, so I was born and raised in London, Ontario. Uh, so we were just kind of southwest of Toronto, about two hours. Yep. And uh, grew up here my whole life, still live here today. Uh, and this is where Pulp and Press was founded in 2014. Uh, we only recently, in the last few years, moved production up to Quebec City. All right. Uh, but, pr- but prior to that, we were made right here in London, Ontario, mm-hmm. uh, hand-pressing juice. And uh, I grew up here going to elementary school, high school, and university here. Had my uh, first job here when I was 12 or 13 in a restaurant, uh, you know, cleaning dishes and clearing tables and things like that. It's the best way and, to start. Uh, yeah. And uh, I met my wife here and we got married here. And we, now we live here with our two beautiful boys that are uh, two years old and four years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just kind of where we planted our roots. And we, awesome. love to, we love to travel. We make sure that we prioritize travel uh, as a family and as a couple, you know, getting out and going to the Dominican or mm. just going on little family trips to Kincardine or Toronto or things like that, yeah. uh, just to kind of get away. But we really just planted our roots here in London and it's where we call home. That's awesome, mate. Yeah, London's a college town, isn't it? It's known as that. We've got Western yeah. University and Fanshawe College. Fanshawe, Fanshawe yeah. College is a bit of the party school. And, yeah, that's uh, where my wife went, Fanshawe. Is it? Yeah, known yeah, it for is. flipping police cars and lighting them on fire. <laughs> and uh... That wasn't my wife. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no, it, it is. It's a big, uh, it's a, a university and college town. It's a lot of awesome. uh, healthcare and innovation here. We've got uh, 
three large hospitals here. Uh, yeah. And it used to be known for uh, automotive, not so much so anymore, but it was yeah. a big automotive city as well. Uh, We're cool. right on the 401 corridor, which is one of the major highways that, you know, travels throughout Ontario, um, all the way up to Quebec and all the way down through uh, Detroit and Windsor and things like that. So sounds like a good spot for easy distribution and access to the market. Absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. That's actually one thing that sort of intrigued me about your business. You know, obviously, when you think juices, you think fresh, and then you think shelf life, and then you think, holy shit, there might be a bit of a uh, a conversation that needs to happen around, you know, shelf life distribution, getting the product out there and having it stay nice and fresh, or at least meet the expectations of the retailers. So I'd love to definitely dig into that for you or mm-hmm. with you today. Um, but sort of uh, let's go back to 2014 um, when the business was founded. So do you know what sort of sparked the idea and sort of where the idea of Pop and Press came from? Yeah. So like I mentioned prior to the call, I'm not, mm. uh, I'm not one of the founders of the company. Mm. I, I came on board in uh, 2018. Uh, a friend of mine, you know, was uh, acquiring the company or in the process yeah. of acquiring the company. Um, but the original founder stayed on board, Christian, for a couple of years after I, I came on board. Yeah. And I always remember hearing that kind of original founder story where he was making organic cold pressed juice for a family member who was sick. Mm. And, you know, if you ever made juice at home, you always know that you make too much or not enough. Uh, there's, it's really hard to kind of make just the right amount of juice. And so he was always left over with some, uh, some juice and he was sharing it with family and friends and had that kind of light bulb moment where it was like, this actually tastes really good. Like better than most juices that you've mm. made your, that you make yourself, like the, uh, the recipes and the ingredients you use were just really, uh, uh, you know, they, 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 they worked well together. And, um, so we started doing a little boutique farmers markets and kind of like little, little, uh, um, little small trade shows here and there like vegan uh vegan fest and uh and then things like that and and it just really took off very quickly and uh they fast forwarded you know a year or so and they were offered a regional deal with metro and here in ontario for a couple hundred locations and it was that kind of fake it till you make it moment where they're like can you produce x per week and they're like mm. yeah yeah for sure of course we can yeah and uh next thing you know they're working out of a commercial kitchen pumping out juice and sending it off to metro Mm. And so it was one of those just like, you know, he was making it for a purpose, a familial person, a purpose. And uh, it just transpired into now Canada's largest functional beverage manufacturer shipping, you know, hundreds of thousands of bottles across uh, the country every week. Incredible. And so um, it's just a really cool kind of story. The original founders, uh, Christian and John, are no longer with Pulp and Press, um, but myself and uh, our team here have taken over quite nicely and have, you know, reached across the country pretty quickly. And we just recently launched into the U.S. as well. Yeah. Yeah, mate. Um, The whole sort of like cold press juice business really did take off around that 2014, 2015 time period. That's when we seem to sort of notice all of the bricks and mortar locations open up in Vancouver. And Mm -hmm. I guess that's when um, cold press juices actually became a little bit more affordable for the consumer at home as well. So I noticed on Amazon, they started to crop up because you've got your centrifugals, centrifugal, is that how you say it? Centrifugal? Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of juicer. And then you've got your cold press. We've got a cold press juicer at home, cool. um, a Ninja, and we use it daily. Like it's yeah. awesome. We absolutely yeah. love it. And uh, you definitely notice the difference in the clarity of the product, but what are the other kind of value propositions around cold pressing itself? So cold pressing is, you know, it's kind of an alternative to pasteurization. There's no heat involved when you're mm-hmm. cold pressing something. So yeah. uh, you're not burning away a lot of the vitamins and nutrients and live enzymes that are the best part of juice for you, yeah. uh, right? Like when we make our juice, we press them and we remove the pulp and the fiber and things like that because it's just harder for your system to kind of break those things down. Um, but you, you're maintaining almost all the vitamins and nutrients and live enzymes and things like that, which are the best part of juice. Whereas when you pasteurize it, you're using 
producing heat and it burns away all that good stuff. Yeah. And so uh, we use a natural process coupled with our cold press uh, called high pressure processing or HPP, HPP. Yeah. yeah, which uses uh, what's called isostatic pressure to put it under such extreme cold pressure, mm-hmm. basically giving it frostbite and it burns away all the bad things like yeasts and molds and bacteria and mesophiles and aerobic colonies and things like that, that, you know, when you bite into an apple and you leave it on your counter and it turns brown, you're kind of removing those things that, you know, make it turn brown so quickly yep, and it extends the shelf. Yeah. Extends the, the shelf life. Um, but it also maintains all that good stuff for you. Mm. So when you look at the labels of a lot of our products, you're seeing things like, you know, 420% of your daily vitamin A, 80% of your daily vitamin C, you know, mm-hmm. 200% of this, that, and the other. And um, it's just really cool to be able to provide this quality product through this cold pressed method mm. coupled with HPP to make it more consumer friendly. So when you cold mm-hmm. press it at home, the juice tastes fantastic and it's really healthy for you, but you're not getting, you're getting maybe two or three, maybe four days of refrigerated life out of the juice. Yeah. Uh, you got to drink it quick or make yeah. small batches of it. When you're making, yeah. you know, a hundred th- plus thousand bottles a week, uh, it's, you can't sit for two or three days, you know, you right. need much longer. So Palm Press has uh, six months or 180 days of manufactured refrigerated shelf life without the use of any heat pasteurization or preservatives. Mm. We don't use things like ascorbic acid or citric acid. We just use lemon juice and lime juice and other, mm-hmm. you know, citrus fruit that kind of helps balance that acidity uh, of it. And that extends the shelf life for us. But it, it is, it's a really cool, natural, innovative process um, that you're right, got really, really big in and around 2014, 2015, got really trendy. Mm. Everybody in kind of those like, you know, more boutique areas like yep downtown Vancouver, Toronto, um, into New York, California. They got really, really trendy then. And uh, that's when Pulp and Press was founded because of this good idea of already making it and it tasting good and Mm. just working out the kinks to make it consumer friendly and mass grocery friendly. Mm. It's interesting when you watch the evolution of sort of the market that you're in. Like I remember, you know, when was it sort of, um, I first moved to Melbourne in 2003. So it would have been 2003 to 2006. There was this huge smoothie bar sort of like boom in Melbourne. Like there was a a company called boost juice, which cropped up and they did very well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they've been around for a long, long time, like the whole sort of smoothie juice bars, but then to actually see it in retail and to see it, you know, with an extended shelf life, like your product is pretty unique. And I guess, did we have to wait for the technology like HPP to actually catch up and become sort of, um, what would you call it? Like, um, have the cost of HPP be driven down enough for it to make sense for a product like a, a um, fresh cold pressed juice? So when when Pulp and Press was founded, HP technology had been existing um, for quite a while. We Got had it. there was many co-packers um, that were kind of managing this space and had these machines available. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we've seen is it it's really around the kind of economies of scale, right? Yeah. The more you produce, the cheaper it is, obviously. Yeah, yep. And and it, and it's still even that case where these machines are they're so big, they're so expensive. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. you know a lot of the co-packers and manufacturers have really high minimums to be able to mm. justify you're just operating this machine, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so uh, there's only a handful of them large enough to accommodate the volume that say Palm Press pumps out every week. Mm. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why we moved our production to Quebec City is because we had access to some of these larger HPP machines yeah. um, that we wouldn't have access to in London or even Toronto. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Um, so that was kind of the, 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 the business decision to move operations to Quebec. 
was that we had access to to growth um, that we wouldn't have by staying in London and maybe supporting more of a a local or a smaller independent presence. Understood. Yeah, I've been to the HPP facility on Anasis Island here um, in Vancouver. It's an incredible little facility. Well, I'll say little. I didn't actually mean it as little. Like it's not a little facility, but it's an incredible facility. I believe that it's the only HPP facility in the west of Canada. Am I correct in saying that? Do you know? Have you been to HPP? Uh, no, I, I, I have not been to it, but yeah, I think that sounds right. I know there's yeah. very few of them available and I know yeah. they have a really kind of a, a large kind of uh, almost comical presence in Quebec. Um, they've just all kind of set up shop there really you know uh um, the south shore all the way up to quebec city there's just a very large presence of these large you know 300 plus liter hpp machines um there's not a lot lot of them across canada that's good uh, for you guys yeah that's incredible yeah very good so from the initial sort of spark of the idea um the business sort of started in farmers markets there was obviously some traction that took place and i can imagine that before hpp became something that was integrated into the business model there would have potentially have been like you know some issues around some um shelf life problems once that was all worked out what does the business sort of look like now because i'm looking on your website right now it's a beautiful brand that you've built number one so congratulations on that yeah beautiful website i'll have the link down in the show notes for everybody to have a look at it as well but you guys are doing a lot and you've actually got a registered nutritionist working for the organization as well is that correct yeah absolutely uh, julie works for us she yeah. came on board uh, a couple of years ago and she kind of works as this cleanse consultant Consultants. Yeah, yeah i thought that was an interesting yeah interesting yeah. name for it yeah kind of in addition to our you know customer service support because we have a lot of customers reaching out uh, yeah. we have a very large e-commerce presence i would say mm. e-commerce makes up you know 60 to 70 percent of our gross annual business is online yeah. shipping direct to consumer yeah. and so we have a lot of customers reaching out just with general questions of why should i do this is this right for me mm. um as person x not as a whole like as a general question but is this right for me and here's what i'm looking for these are the goals that i have here's the some allergies that i have or intolerances yeah. that i have or or even just kind of some skepticism that I have. Um, can you provide me some reasonable insight as to why I should do this? And there's a lot of education that goes around our product, especially when you're getting into the idea of doing these juice cleanses or these detoxes and things like that, that people call them. Um, and so, yeah, we've hired a, a holistic nutritionist as part of our team to kind of field these questions from, uh, you know, both a, a nutritionist as well as customer service perspective. And uh, it's been a great, it's been, you know, a great, a great opportunity for us to be able to present this to our consumers, whether they're buying pulp and press or another product, they have access to this person um, that can give them, you know, you know, knowledge, not from a point of sales, like I would position it, but from a, from a point where this is good for you, this is not good for you. And I can't, I can't tell you the number of times that Julie said, you know, don't do this cleanse that costs three or $400, do this smaller one as kind of a, you know, an intro into, into cleansing, or this is going to be better for your gut health, or this is going to be better for your skin, or this is going to be better for weight loss. And um, so providing them kind of like this more granular idea of whether or not they should do something like this or make Mm. this sort of lifestyle switch. And it's been amazing. And it's just kind of a value add that we have here at Pulp and Press. Yeah, that's really cool, man. How long did it take for you guys to actually cotton on that that was something that would provide some value? Like, did you receive some feedback from customers or how did that sort of insight come about? Well, yeah, we had a very, we had a very small team. We still have a very small team. Um, but 
I was fielding these questions and yeah. I was like hopping on Google and trying to figure out as much as I could before I would respond to this customer. Yeah. And I said, this is a, not a good use of time. B I'm only, I'm only as accurate as Google allows me to be, you know, mm. this is a few years ago when maybe mm. chat GPT didn't exist. <laughs> yeah. It's a different uh, world now, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, and I, I was just, you know, I can't confidently give answers and it's one of yeah. those things that I'm not a nutritionist. I shouldn't pretend to be a nutritionist. Uh, I need to get, we need to be able to provide answers to the questions customer have to make, you know, a good customer experience. Uh, because especially in the e-commerce space, if they don't have a good experience from the point of going onto your website to the point of checkout to even post checkout when mm. they have, I just received my cleanse. How should I do this? I just received my big box of juice. How do I store it? Where do I store it? You know, how long is it good for? If we don't have the, that customer experience in place, you're not going to be able to get that repeat order. Yeah. And again, in the e-commerce space, the longevity of a customer the lifetime value of a customer is really where you start seeing it's everything profit yeah yeah um, a lot of these companies have such uh, high acquisition costs of customers that if you're not getting your peak customers coming through you're not profitable you're mm -hmm. just breaking even mm -hmm. and uh, and so we understood that this was a, a an investment in you know customer acquisition even uh to say we're we have a team member on board that can provide you with those answers confidently mm -hmm. and give you the answers that you need um yeah, and have a, you know that, that also have that like humanity behind it, right? That human yeah. uh, experience behind it. Yeah. Where you're talking yeah. to somebody, you can schedule Zoom calls with her. Yeah. You can just send emails back and forth. You can uh, you have access to Julie um, at your convenience to ask any questions you might have. Yeah, that's fantastic. You mentioned you know the importance of the whole back end of customer service with a um, like an online presence, like a the 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 online channel that you've built. And I had Irma from True Local on. And that was a great conversation. Mm -hmm. I recommend everybody down um, that's interested in that conversation actually go back and listen to the chat because, you know, unless you have a really solid customer service and support team, you know, to support your business, I mean, it can turn people around, especially people who aren't satisfied with your product. Like you can completely turn them around and turn them into customers for life. And like you said, like customer retention on an online business is absolutely everything. It's so expensive to acquire a customer in the first place. Absolutely. Yeah. So Paul, a Paul Press is owned in part by one of North America's largest uh, digital marketing and omnichannel oh, wow. uh, agencies called Northern, Northern Commerce. Mm. And uh, they're, they, they've been great and fantastic with setting up this marketplace and this online presence and driving sales. And, uh, but what it really comes down to is again, like you said, retaining these customers. And mm. after they go through this, you know, this checkout process, it's what's going to drive them to reorder and yep. what we found a lot of time is it's that customer experience. Yeah. And so of the maybe 11 people that Paul and Press employs, um, three or four of them are customer service. And mm -hmm. it's just to have somebody available that can be online and be answering questions quickly, efficiently, yeah. and confidently. Yeah. And that's been one of the, one of the greatest successes is having a, a competent customer service team that is passionate about the product, yeah. um, including holistic nutritionists that are just, yeah. you know, this is what they live and breathe, right? They love yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it sounds to me like you've got your um, direct-to-consumer online e-com platform. You've got your retail platform where you're getting it out into the world via other businesses. And then you've also got wholesale as well is that correct they're your yeah. three channels yeah yeah which has been the hardest to manage that's a big question because they all mm. have their Nuances. difficulties right yeah, yeah. so yeah. i mean i i wouldn't say one is harder to manage than the other moving into the u.s the u.s landscape and i've said this in a lot of my linkedin posts uh the u.s landscape is so much different than the canadian landscape um just from the way that you approach retailers to the way that you onboard with retailers to the way that you 
maintain a relationship and stay on shelf at a retailer is so much different in the US than it is in Canada. And that's been lately our, our biggest struggle. Um, there's a lot of competition out there that's been doing this much longer than we have in the US. Yeah. And coming in as a as a developed Canadian company doesn't mean as much doesn't hold as much value as you yeah. think it would. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, when you come in, you say, Oh, we're in X number of stores in Canada. And they're kind of like, Okay. <laughs> that's a raging that's, here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's 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 like yeah, one state worth of CVS. Yeah. Um and they kind of laugh at you and uh, and and just the way that you price things and the margin yeah. expectations and the yeah. promo involvement, the the funding uh, involved, it's so much different. That's our biggest hurdle right now is really trying to kind of envelop ourselves in the US landscape and understand how it works because we've been so you know, uh caught up in in the Canadian landscape for so long. Mm. Uh managing an e-commerce business has its troubles as well. Again, you have to really stay on top of, of emerging trends and what your consumer is looking for. Luckily, we have this huge team of, you know, 150 plus people at Northern that can assist with pulp and press and, you know, working on customer acquisition and managing our ad spend and things like that. And they do a fantastic job. If anyone's ever looking to work with an, an agency, especially in, you know, the CPG space, Northern does a fantastic job and I can't recommend them enough. I'm a little biased being a, a you know a sister company. Um, I'll uh, but, I'll put their link into the show notes as well. Northern yeah. is it? Northern, yeah, Northern, what Northern are they Commerce. Commerce. Okay, cool. And uh, they just do a fantastic job, and they they represent a lot of large brands that you'd be familiar with mm-hmm. um, across U.S. and the U.S. and Canada. Yeah. Um, they just do a fantastic job of kind of knowing that space and uh, you know being able to manage it a lot more efficient than we would be able to. But uh, we have in-house marketing members as well that uh, really, again, stay on top of trends. We have to turn around um, different, you know, copy and assets regularly just to stay on top of things. Um, and that's, that's again, a very challenging sort of thing. It's like, what holidays do you, do you run promos on? How, what's the promo value? What are your competitors doing? Um, and it's, it's, it's a lot more challenging than just say approaching a, a category manager and asking for a, for a listing. And, yeah. uh, so it's, it's, they all have their difficulties, um, in and of themselves. And I play a large role in, in helping manage those, all of those processes. And, and again, I, I find that there's nothing more difficult than the other. They're all very, very challenging. And we're mm-hmm. lucky that we have a fantastic team mm-hmm. uh, to help manage each channel mm-hmm. um, independent of each other. Yeah. So it sounds like you're juggling a few balls. Like when you think about it as the general manager, you're overlooking the whole operation. You're looking at the, you know, the actual um, production side of things, ensuring that everything's squared away there. You're looking at all of your various channels, customer service, you know, brand alignment. You're looking at it all. Mm-hmm. Where do you spend the majority of your time? And how do you break up your week? Again, the the blessing that Pulp and Press has is having this lean, fantastic team behind mm. us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't say that enough. And it's been only over the last maybe a year and a half to two years that we've really built this team and are very comfortable and confident in the team that we have right now. Prior to, it was all like I, I operated very ad hoc. It was very what fire has to get put out today. Yeah. And then once the fire is out, you know, let's move on to how do we grow and strategize the growth of the business. Um, lately, I spend the majority of my time in sales and business development. Mm. We have customer service managers. We have our director of finance and operations, Andrew Fenn, and um, he manages a lot of the production, tracking velocities and and forecasting for both online for US and Canada, as well as other marketplace channels. Like we have a large presence in both Costco in the Canada and the US, Amazon Canada and the US. Um, we have several distribution facilities across the US that we're managing inventory in. We have multiple distribution facilities in Canada that we're mm-hmm. managing inventory in. 
And uh, he's a young CPA that is just, you know, very number and like metric oriented yeah, and uh, is very involved in that portion of the business. So I don't spend a lot of time on production and, uh, and, and, you know, that sort of thing anymore. Same thing with freight management logistics. We have a, a great team member, Terry, that, you know, helps move us, move product around from all the different distribution centers to mm-hmm. all the different retailers. We go direct with a lot of our retailers like Sobeys and Metro and Farmboy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so managing freight around the country used to be a large portion of my job. Um, I spent a lot of hours a week, um, just making sure that everything was where it was supposed to go because then a lot of retailers, if it's not on time, you're getting fined and there's mm-hmm. fees and, or did they're just straight up rejecting it, um, and things like that. And so, uh, I spent a lot of time doing that, but now I spend next to no time doing that because we're so confident in our team to have the autonomy to make those decisions to do it themselves that, mm-hmm. um, I spend most of my time kind of strategizing and, and growing the business through retail sales and mm. different market and different marketplace sales, managing That's promo awesome. yeah, managing promo calendars and new opportunities and things like that. Okay, cool. You mentioned a couple of things and I'd like to dig into the team with you. So you are only as strong as the people around you and the team that you've onboarded. When you first came on board, it sounds as if you well, I mean, I don't know. So you confirm it for me, but you've built the team from the ground up essentially. What did the hiring process look like there? Because essentially you can hire for skills and it's great to hire for skills because then you know that an accountant's going to be able to crunch numbers and so on. But some people think that attributes are more important than skills. Like the, you know, do you have somebody that's determined? Do you have somebody that, you know, has awesome, um, uh, the ability to communicate, like you're looking at attributes because you can build upon attributes. You can always train skills, but it's attributes that you can't train. So where were you looking like when you were building your team and like, how did you go about finding each integral piece of the business? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I came on board, I was, you know, I was actually the, at the time, the first employee, Mm. they had other, they had, they had other employees, you know, hand pressing juice and things like that. They had employees that had helped out at trade shows. Uh, When I came on board, it was a one man operation. The original founder was picking orders that had come out from the production in in Quebec. And, um, and I was just kind of helping out. I was running another business prior to that. Okay. And, uh, when we started growing the team, uh, we probably took a lot of the wrong steps and we were just posting on Indeed and yep. Nighthunter and, and LinkedIn and things like that. And we were looking at their resume very explicitly and looking to see, do you check the boxes on an educational level, yep. on an experience level? And in the CPG space, that really doesn't bode well a lot of the time mm. because on mm-hmm. paper, anyone can look great. Yep. Um, they can say you- that they've got the skills. You know, exactly. Yeah. And then yep. when we we found that, you know, bringing somebody in for a true interview face to face in person, none of the Zoom stuff, none of the mm-hmm. teams or anything, bringing them in, shaking their hand, showing them around, getting that kind of informal feeling of who they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can just see if they're going to be a good fit uh, yep. on a cultural level. Are you going to get along with everybody that works here? Mm-hmm. Uh, because a lot of the things you can train, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. do you have the skills and the ability to learn and to listen to be able to take on this role? Because a lot of the roles being developed they weren't already existing yeah. roles yeah, it's yeah. like there's no sop for this there's no job description really for this mm-hmm. that we're going to be you know holding you to it's going to be very ad hoc and kind of figure it out as you go so are you that kind of gritty tenacious person that can mm. figure it out as you go 
Or are you expecting, you know, an eight to four or a nine to five with Structure. very clear, yeah, very yeah. clear, yep. very clear role of what you do? So like from eight to nine, you do this, from nine <clears> to 10, you do this. It's <throat> not that. It was very ad hoc. It was very gritty. It was very lean. And at first we found that hiring people on Indeed and LinkedIn and Nighthunter, it wasn't working because mm. people were looking for that security of knowing mm-hmm. what they're doing. Yep. And what we found a lot of benefit from was actually hiring people that we knew yeah and we are yeah we have a large kind of social (laughs) network uh public press in northern yeah and so it ended up being like um terry uh our our freight and logistics coordinator he uh worked with me at my last company Mm -hmm. and he was looking for work and he had just finished a couple uh degrees at fanshawe actually and for the role that we were hiring for and i said i know this guy i know that he's tenacious i know that he's gritty i know that he's not looking for he knows that we won't steer him wrong. If I bring yeah. him in, he knows that he's in good hands kind of thing. Yep. And that was great. Andrew Fenner, Director of Operations and Finance, um, he actually worked for Northern. And as Pulp Press continued to grow, we said, well, you know what? You're spending a lot of your time as a Northern employee working on Pulp and Press. Why don't you just come work for Pulp and Press kind of thing? And mm-hmm. uh, so it was a lot of that, like in this internal hiring, even our warehouse manager, Noah, who's actually now moving into more of a uh, an office based role. Yeah. Um, he was my neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he, like his dad lived across the street from me and we hired him. And cause I knew, you know, you're a hard worker, you're tenacious, you're gritty and you, and you want to work towards something. Yeah. Uh, you don't just want a job. And so we found the, our most success, mm-hmm. um, hiring people that we knew just kind of get up and running uh, yeah. with additional team members. And then, uh, the rest of the team were found through just your normal hiring, uh, uh, you know, uh, means right through LinkedIn yeah 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 and um we did multiple interviews with them and it was a, a lot of them very informal a lot of them very like you know you wouldn't want HR in the room uh it was it's very, it was Couple a very of days. yeah yeah it was a very informal process kind yeah. of thing. And, and it was like we want to know if you're going to be a good fit yeah. um with the team and you know good. pretty much straight away don't you like yeah, you just, it, it just very clicks. Team oriented. Yeah. It's very like, are you going to be yeah. uh, a piece to this team that we're going to all, you yeah. know, if we have to work a long day or yeah. if we have to do something that we don't normally have to do, are you just going to grin and bear it? Or are you going to complain and, you know, bitch and moan about it? Mm. And, and, mm-hmm. and the team members we have now are just like, they're just incredible. And yeah. I don't think that we would have, you know, scaled the way we scaled over the last couple of years, if it weren't for the team that we have right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've made my job easier. They've made a lot of our senior team uh, job a lot easier, just having this really hardworking, uh, um, engaging team that enjoy that I feel like enjoy the work. I don't want to speak for them, obviously, but they all show up every day. They wouldn't nobody, be there if they weren't enjoying it. Nobody's, you know? yeah, nobody's, nobody's complaining. So yeah, dude, that's awesome. I had a feeling that might be the case because with small successful teams, often it's the case that you know each individual has been cherry picked to some degree, mm-hmm. and uh, because each is an important pillar of that business. So it's really cool to hear that that is actually the case. That's the case here at Foodpack as well. Like we're a very, very small and lean team. We're all high performing individuals that are internally motivated, but we're also motivated as, you know, I'll, I'll use the word team player for lack of a better sort of other words to use, but we all work as a, a like individual units, but we're also very team driven, I guess we can mm-hmm. say. Foodpack's the first place that I've ever worked at where there isn't one person with one foot out the door ready to go, or there's bitching and planning going on. Like there's none of it because just like you, I'd come from the hospitality industry, uh, you know, managing cafes, restaurants, uh, a lot of time in bars and so on. And you know what that industry is like, it's, you know, people come and go and, you know, usually they've got their eye on another price. But it's really cool when you're working with a team of individuals or like a group of people who are all moving in the same direction and uh, who are all winning to some Mm -hmm. degree, you know? 
we're yeah, willing to roll up their sleeves. You can have that kind of a career orientation. Yeah. You're like, this is yeah. not just a job anymore. This is a team. Mm-hmm. This is, this is what I can do and be successful at yeah. it. Yeah. And there's a lot of growth opportunity, especially with smaller businesses yep. that, you know, here's where we want to go. Mm-hmm. And here's where we're currently at. This mm-hmm. is, you can fill the gaps in between there. And this, and this can be something that you can really sink your teeth into and have a lot of opportunity in yeah. if you want to. And that's yep. been, that's been really cool. Now, Hey, I have a question for you. I know yeah, for people sure. normally flip the switch on you very often. Um, but I noticed that when you started the podcast, it was only a couple months after you actually started in with food pack. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it was food pack. Like, was this a passion for you? Like, like the how podcast did you... itself? No, the uh, working with food pack food and kind pack, of like flexible yeah. packaging. When you came on board with them, was this something yep. that you, that you were really passionate or interested about, or was it just like a a job that you stumbled on? No, it was and, the right um... opportunity. Yeah. So, um. I was the food service sales manager at Salt Spring Coffee. So, you know, like I just mentioned, I'd come from the coffee industry, food industry, managing cafes. And uh, prior to that, obviously, I'm Australian and I was living in Australia managing a 110-seat cafe, restaurant, roastery. Really, really busy, amazing quality coffee and the staff there were incredible. Like the quality of the baristas were outstanding. Um, actually the current world barista champion, Anthony Douglas, I worked with Anthony, he was behind my bar, just awesome. And, um, anyway, so I'd come from that industry and, uh, I got a job at Salt Spring as the food service sales manager, which I absolutely love, but then COVID hit and, uh, my sales dried up to $0 overnight. So I had uh, five and a half months off. And throughout that period, I had a really good opportunity to assess the direction that I wanted to take my family and, um, uh, my life and, uh, and my career. And I thought that I would double down on sales. Now, when I thought, okay, who can I reach out to in my network who is also, um, you know, driven, driving their sales career really hard. And I thought of Nick Pike, who was a a silver chef um, sales rep who used to call on me at Salt Spring. I reached out to Nick and he said, you know what, mate, I've actually got a new job at a company called Food Pack and we're looking for a sales rep. Would you be interested? And I said, well, tell me more. And the conversation sort of went from there and it was through, you know, my network that I found this job. And uh, just like we were discussing with, um, you know, finding the right people for the job. I was lucky in that there was a great opportunity working for Food Pack and it was a really good fit for both of us. And so I started the job September, 2020, and it was a brand new industry for me. Obviously I was familiar with the food and hospitality industry, but CPG was new to me. Mm-hmm. And I was out in the field because I was given a book of business. So out talking to my existing clients, trying to win new business. And I'm like, this is a whole new sales cycle, like selling a product uh, and a service um, is very similar to selling coffee. Um, however, it's a little bit different. So, you know, I had to learn, you know, what it was exactly that I was selling and having conversations with business owners and entrepreneurs, just like we are today, was very much a part of that process. And I was working with a, uh, a coach at the time and he said, man, you should really start a podcast. Like it's going to bring a lot of value to you because you're going to, you know, become a little bit, um, a little bit more uh, attuned to conversation and, you know, picking up on nuances to um, what people are looking for in the sales process, but you're also bringing a lot of value to the people that are listening as well. So I thought about it for a while and I thought, yeah, like, what have I got to lose? Like absolutely nothing at all. So I did Mm -hmm. start the podcast a couple of months. I think it was December 1st. I started September 1st at Food Pack and the first podcast episode came out December 1st and I wasn't too sure where I was going to take it. I thought, you know what, like, let's give it 18 months. Uh, I'm not going to give myself an out. And I did an episode a week for that 18 month period. And that came and went and I love what I do here. So yeah, I mean, the podcast itself has grown, um, exponentially, um, 
it's brought a lot of value to my life because I obviously um, broadened my network of people that I know, but it's also helped me um, with my sales at Foodpack too, because I'm out there, I'm having conversations with business owners and operators about their business and I can potentially help them throughout that period. And um, yeah, so it's sort of, it's got a, it's a double-edged sword in that it brings value to my life, but it also brings value to my full-time job here at Foodpack. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And yeah. Foodpack being really cool. Like this goes back to what we were just talking about, having that kind of like mm-hmm. referral network is yeah. they could have hired somebody and not known if they were a good fit and just hope for the best, yep. but having Nick yep. vouch for you and yep. saying, this is the guy that yep. I want in the role exactly. speaks volumes of bringing it in and you're yep. happy. He's happy. The yep. food pack's happy. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. That's really yeah, cool. No, thank you. Yeah. No, man, it's great. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Like when you find the right job for you or you feel as if you're in the right place at the right time, there's no better feeling. Mm-hmm. Like going to work each day is a pleasure. Like I look forward to going to work each day. I was speaking to somebody earlier on LinkedIn. I said the same thing. I said the the biggest value you can have or the biggest perk you can have with a, an employer or with employment yeah. is not waking up and being like, oh shit, I have to go to work today. Mm. I've had that you, before. Yeah, yeah, of course. And it's yeah. like, whether that's through autonomy, whether that's just through the the different perks or benefits you have from working there, maybe it's just something that you're passionate about you like, or, or something you enjoy doing. It's just that ability to wake up and not say, like, I don't want to do this again. Mm-hmm. And like, at that point, quit your job, go do something else, you yep. know, move yep. on. It's not for you. Yep. But you and I sound like we have that benefit of waking up and being like, not dreading going into work every day. Yeah. There's days yeah, that yeah. it's like, this day sucks. I can't oh, yeah, wait of course. for this day to be done. And that's normal. That's life. Yeah. You know? But yeah. most days and the majority of days is, you know, this is another new, exciting day. And I, mm-hmm. I can't wait to see, you know, what, what I get to get into today yeah. uh, because it's forever changing. It's always different. I enjoy the people I work with. Yeah. Um, it's a really, you know, interesting space. The CBG, CPG industry is like awesome, nothing it? I've never worked in. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. I speak with competitors regularly and mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, you know, I, I speak with other brands, direct competitors, brokers, distributors, mm-hmm. and it's really cool. Everyone's so inviting and friendly. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like we, none of us know what we're doing and we all know that none of us know what we're doing. Yeah. And it's just kind of that like acceptance of no one knowing what they're doing. I think that's 90% of life. Like, I yeah. don't think any of us know what we're doing, whether it's parenting or in our marriage or, yeah. you know, just living in general. I think that we're all sort of winging it to some degree and sort of learning what we can vicariously through other people who are a few streets ahead of us. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think it's a really important to be humble and often recognize, well, you know what I've, you know, recognize when you are falling short and trying to find out how you can improve in specific areas of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, you know, you've come from the food and hospitality industry where you've operated another business before and you suggested that CPG was new to you. And it it is extremely like you can go deep and you can go broad on it. And it's through speaking with other people like competitors and jumping on LinkedIn and, you know, that you would improve your knowledge. But where did you find that you had to sort of focus uh, the most? And what was it specifically that has given you the most value for money, if that makes sense? Like, was it your sales repertoire that you had to improve on? Was it your approach to marketing? Was it your approach, your management style? Like, what was it specifically that you had to focus on the most? I would say for me personally, the the thing that I struggled with the most was understanding the way to 
the way that everyone else has always been doing it, mm. you, you have to follow suit to a certain extent, right? Yeah. Um, you know, if, if it wasn't the right way to do it, everyone wouldn't be doing it that way. The infrastructure is set up in a certain way that you have to yeah, abide and by. So, yeah, and uh, so you know, in a previous <laughs> life, you know, I ran a uh, home services company that did like moving and junk removal and All right, yep. commercial, commercial moving, like uh, um, facilities management and things like that. And the selling was a lot different. It yep. was very like uh, structured. Yeah, you know, your move will take six hours, cost this much per hour. Here's what's yep. included. Do you want to do yep. it or not? And plug it was very kind of like, yeah, plug and play, very, very quick and easy. And this one, it's like, you know, a complete. It's it's networking. It's it's relationship building. You know, sometimes you you speak to a buyer a year before the category review, mm -hmm. and you keep that relationship going. You uh, you keep tabs on them. You just ask them general questions sometimes and it's relationship building long-term yep. period. Yep. And that, that was something that I wasn't used to. And I'm a very social kind of extroverted guy in general. Um, and that sometimes can bite you in the ass. Sometimes that's not what they want. Yep. Uh, but other times it's just like, it's just figuring out what the person is looking for and not necessarily, necessarily knowing what that is. Yeah. So the biggest thing I just struggled, I struggled with was kind of that the sales function of it, of, you know, where does the opportunity start? Yeah. And then how does it come to a, to a fruition like a conclusion uh, yeah um and, and what does that look like in the cpg <laughs> space which is something that i was unfamiliar with and again mm -hmm. it's taken me years to really get a, a handle on it and i i still think that there's you know light years of information ahead of me that i have no clue about uh but that i'm eager to learn about and again mm -hmm. it's a training tra it's attending trade shows and webinars mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and things like that and learning from those that have been doing this for years i've been meeting with uh uh, kind of a mentor for the last little while, um, Eric, and uh, um, he works for the company in, in the U.S. called Beyond Brands. Before that, okay. he ran a, a functional beverage, like an iced tea brand called uh, called Steez. And uh, I hop on a call with him every couple of weeks for half an hour, an hour. And the amount of information that he's able to relay in just a short period of time is just mm -hmm. incredible. Mm -hmm. And uh, same thing with our new brokerage in the U.S. called iLevel. Um, just speaking with her team, it's just one of those things like you have so much more information that you can share with me that I that yeah. I was totally oblivious to, yeah. Um, and that's the big the big that's been the biggest struggle is trying to like retain all this information and then yeah. apply it uh, to different scenarios. Yeah. When I was in university, I, I studied sociology, uh, which is just kind of like the ability to you know read and analyze and, and speak to people of different you know different uh, type different types of people. We'll yeah. Yeah. And sales is a lot that way. If I speak to somebody who's young and like a little hipster or whatever it is, I'm going to speak to them differently than I'm going to speak to, you know, a 70 year old man that's been in this industry Absolutely. for 40 years. Yeah. And so yeah. it's kind of knowing how to, you know, manage yourself in those, in the, in those scenarios uh, has been my biggest struggle. And then I think also my biggest, you know, uh, success. Yeah. 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 And where do you keep everything? Do you keep it up here in your head? Like, or do you journal or how do you get down everything and all of your thoughts and how do you keep track of it all? So that's a great question. I I, I like to think that I have a a great memory for people, mm -hmm. um, understanding their likes, their dislikes, their mm -hmm. like the the methodologies around approaching them, um, just given experiences of dealing with those people. Right? You kind of mm -hmm. you remember them if you if you had mm -hmm. a you know if you approach somebody the wrong way, you yep. remember no, the right absolutely. way to approach them. Yeah. Um, yep. And we do use a lot of like uh, different you know, uh, CRMs and things like that that mm -hmm. you know help manage our, our our opportunities. But I wouldn't make notes like you know, doesn't like when I use slang or something like that. That's just yeah. that I would internalize. And remember yeah, yeah. next time I speak to so-and-so, you know, <laughs> it's got to be quick, efficient, yeah. respectful, yeah. polite, like, you yeah. know, by the, by the book, doesn't yeah. want any added, added, uh, added nonsense. He just wants yeah. 
to the point. And then when I speak to other people, oh, this guy's going to want to talk for an hour. Yeah. So block out time in your calendar. <laughs> you, it should be a five minute call, but it's going to so be an funny. hour. Yeah, you're right. And yeah, yeah. And you just know that when I talk to this person, it's going to be a little bit longer. I'm going to have to yeah. ask about this, that, and the other. Yeah. And, um, and that's just kind of, the relationship building that you have to do in this space more so than other spaces that I've worked in, in, yeah. in a sales capacity. And I love it though. Like it's, yeah. it's very interesting. And again, it keeps you kind of as present in all of your interactions. It's very mm -hmm. easy to kind of like turn yourself off when you're selling something sometimes because mm -hmm. can be very plug and play. It can be very like, just here we go again. Yep. Whereas in the CPG space, you're dealing with people that are from all walks of life and they all mm -hmm. want different things and expect different things. And, and uh, I think it keeps you present in those interactions, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is, which I think is cool. It is cool. Yeah. I've noticed exactly the same thing. Like, and you pick up on it very quickly when you're speaking to somebody and they're just very business upfront. They would just want they, what they need and and they're happy to just leave the conversation there. One thing that I've really focused on is just shortening up my emails. Like my emails are becoming shorter and shorter and just more pertinent with the information that's required to be conveyed. And I think that's one thing in my repertoire that's really helped in the last couple of, I would say the last six months, it's been something that I've really been focusing on. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't yeah, agree cool. more. Yeah, that's a, that's exactly the same as us. And it's yeah, you know, you want to relay as much information as possible. Yeah, but the person reading it, you know, maybe isn't as interested as you are in writing. Oh yeah, and plus um, they've got an inbox full of emails. Like they don't yeah. want to be stuck with your email for two minutes. They want thirty seconds. You know exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mate, it sounds like you've got a lot on your plate, and yet you've got a uh, a beautiful wife and kids at home. So how do you manage walking through the door? and leaving it all behind you? Or is that something you constantly have to work on? If you, if you were to ask my beautiful wife, uh, she would say it's something that I, that I have to work on. And mm. I'm constantly kind of attached to my phone, yeah. um, answering emails that maybe I think are urgent, but could definitely wait until tomorrow. Yeah. Um, the nice thing about my role is that I do have that autonomy to, to do that. So there are many days where I don't show up in the office or even show up on an email until 10 o'clock. Mm. And there's some days where I'll duck out by 233. Yeah. And so she understands, my family understands that maybe that means then hopping on my phone after hours for an hour or two to kind of just catch up so that yeah. the next day is not as not as busy. Um, but it also means that I don't miss parent teacher night. I don't yeah. miss um I was a I was a, a mystery reader. I'm doing air quotes on the video that the <laughs> listeners can't see, but yeah, uh, I was a mystery reader at my at my son's kindergarten class last oh, cool. week. Uh, where they just have surprise parents come in and read a book to the class of kindergartners. And it was really cool. And it's like a lot of jobs wouldn't allow for that. It's yeah. like you, you want to book an hour off in the middle of the day on a Tuesday to go read a book to kindergartners. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, that's my son. And he's so much of a higher priority than anything else I've got going on in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's that understanding that I have this autonomy, this work-life balance that I control. And in order to not ruin that, and be required to be in the office from nine to five or eight to four, Monday to Friday. It means kind of like hopping on and answering an email here or there. Mm -hmm. It's also really easy when you're passionate about what you do. It doesn't seem like work necessarily. Yeah. I don't spend a lot of time texting friends. I'm not that guy. I don't spend a lot of time on Instagram or Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, but I do spend a lot of time replying to emails, being on top of things. And that's kind of my trade-off is like, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not watching Netflix, you know, on Instagram yeah. scrolling for five hours. Yeah. Um, 
I've done that, but I'm not, <laughs> I don't regularly do it. You recognize it, when you have to remove it from your life. Yeah, yeah but it's it's that work life balance where it's like I yeah. have a lot of autonomy in my role, and and yeah. I don't take it for and I don't take it for granted. Yeah. And uh, but I know that I'll never miss anything that my wife or kids want to do. We'll go on vacations when we want when we want to go That's on vacations. Cool. Yeah, I will be present when I need to be present, whether it's yeah. for a school fair or whatever it is. Yeah, uh, but that also means a trade off of traveling. Again, mm-hmm. I do travel uh, quite a bit. I'm off to Expo West. Uh, yeah, in a week cool. Or two, out in yeah. California. Then yeah. shortly thereafterwards, I'll be in Vancouver the CHFA. Uh, at the CHFA. I'll be there. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, and then back to Toronto, Montreal, mm-hmm. going to Chicago for a for a Kehi distri- distributor uh, show. Yeah, I was just in Nashville. So there is travel that comes with the role as well, and that again, that comes with that autonomy of when I get back, you know here's your block of work to do. I don't really care when you do it, yeah. but there are certain expectations, just get it done and, yeah. and then, and then go on with your life. Like uh, as you, yeah. as you'd like, as you'd like to. So yeah. my wife and my family in general are very supportive of the the work that I do yeah. and uh, understand that I don't spend more time on work than I, than, than I think I need to. Yeah. And I would never sacrifice anything that, you know, that would be more important like family yeah. uh, over sending an email. But no, if, you awesome, my wife, if you ask my wife, there's room for improvement. I, I, I could spend I could spend less time emailing for sure. Yeah, yeah, very good. Hey, mate, how do you set up your day? So I'm thinking from my perspective, like <clears throat> working in sales, I've got a week packed on my calendar, and the day before at about four o'clock, I'll sit down with my notepad and I'll write down everything that I need to achieve the following day. Things that you know have fallen off the to do list today will go on to tomorrow's. You know, I'll try and knock them out first. I'll look at the things and prioritize them. Okay, I need to try and achieve this first because this will give me the biggest gain all the way down. And then I'll cross it off and then I'll review it at four o'clock that afternoon and I'll put it down to the next one. And that gives me a sense of peace around my role in the control that I need to have. And I do find that I need to have some control over some things in life and, you know, setting up my next day is a big piece for me. Do you have any sort of like small little tasks that you religiously live by? Like something like that? I mean, at Paul and Press, we're really good at kind of managing. We have a kind of shared calendars internally, yep. uh, just through Google calendars that uh, we have visibility over who's working on what. I work very yep. closely with our VP and with uh, our director of ops and finance. Um, and we have kind of visibility over our calendars. Mm-hmm. I try to slot things in as soon as I know that I have to get them done. I'll slot yep. them in my calendar yep. uh, during normal business hours. Um, and then the night before I normally do the same thing. It's like tomorrow I want to accomplish X, Y, Z, yeah. but I'll, but I'll tangibly put them into my calendar, um, as a reminder. And mm-hmm. so it says from, you know, 10 30 to 10 45, so I you'll should block, be, you'll I'll block, block time block. off. Yeah. Got and you. so if Andrew or Kyle or anyone else on my team want to, uh, uh, allocate that time for something else, a meeting, yeah. um, yeah. they would have to reach out to me first to see if I'm available yeah. for something. So they know that yeah. a lot of my time in my calendar is ad hoc is kind yeah. of like, I'm just kind of filling in gaps to work on things internally, yeah. whether it be following up with our brokers. We have a, a, a very strong broker team here in Canada with Marsham um, and then a very strong broker team in the, in the US newly with iLevel. Um, so whether it's following up with them, what reviews are we doing? Who are we sending out samples to? Yeah. What is a promo calendar for UNFI and Kehi for the next quarter? Uh, just managing different things like that. Um, I'll chalk that into you know half an hour, just follow up with Derek Marsham and, yeah. um, and just to tangibly remind myself, I, I need to be doing this. Yeah. And then I've got a running to-do list of just things that maybe are much lower effort and lower priority, mm-hmm. um, but that still have to get done. And yeah. I'll normally set deadlines for them. So yeah. some things are on there until end of March. 
And yeah. it's like, if you have a free half an hour, you should probably get this done before yeah. the end of March. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just kind of a running to-do list of yeah. uh, based on, on priority. And so that's yeah. what I try to do is things that are urgent, they go into the calendar. You have to get, you have to address this tomorrow. You have to deal with this tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Um, other things are lower effort things, lower priority things yeah. that you should you should work on this in the yeah. next you know, three to six weeks kind of thing. It's really interesting. Everybody's got a very individualized or a very um, personalized system that they use. Do you use a whiteboard for that to-do list or do you use Trello or what does that look like? This is going to sound, I don't want to tell you. I use uh, just like Apple notes. Just notes. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people use notes. Yeah. I use notes for my workouts at the gym, to be honest. Just I use Apple reps notes because it's got, yeah. got a checklist kind of thing. You can also <laughs> link your Google, your uh, Apple notes with your Google calendar kind of yep. thing. And so yep. it's just convenient that way. Because uh, I do, I, I say I do most of my work yeah. on my phone a lot of times, Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially if I'm traveling or if I'm at home, I'm on my phone. I'm yeah. not pulling up my laptop for a lot of things. And yeah. so I'll, I'll, I'll work on my phone and it just transfers easily between uh, my laptop and my phone and, and things Very like cool. that. So my to-do is just on, on my phone and yeah. then uh, Google calendars manages my day-to-day. -day. Yeah, mate, there's no use overcomplicating something that no. should be kept simple. Very cool. Mate, I want to bring the conversation back to Pop and Press. Now, there was one thing that I did notice, and I, you may have introduced this concept to me or the idea to me, or I may have found it on your website. I can't remember, so excuse me for that. But you have sort of been quite innovative at Pulp and Press in terms of the packaging that you're using. So you're looking at some new PET bottles. They're 100% recyclable and compostable. So what does that look like? Tell me more. So the, the bottles themselves aren't compostable. They're fully recyclable. They're right. just made I was going like to say, that was a concept. I'm like, hang on, I don't yeah. understand The bottles this. themselves yeah. are made out of a uh, BPA-free PET plastic. They're curbside yep. recyclable. Yep. They're end of, normally end-of-life plastic. The reason that we're currently using single-use plastic bottles, which is like, you know, this you know, gray area and a lot of uh, the CPG or just the, you know, the packaged goods industry in general yep. is because we use this HPP process, right? Yeah. If we were to use single use glass, which arguably is, is, is not that great for the environment either. Mm. Uh, but, and then we were to try to HPP glass, it would just explode. Yeah. Um, it goes under so much pressure that glass would just explode and there'd be glass and juice everywhere. It's too rigid. Yeah. It's just not, not an ideal scenario. So we use yep. these kind of like end of life BPA free pet plastic bottles. Mm -hmm. Um, what we're currently doing is we're actually working um, on like an environmental sustainability kind of approach with a, a company called Plastic Project. And uh, for every uh, every order that's sold online, we're removing 10 uh, uh, cool. plastic bottles. We're actually yep. not removing, we're intercepting 10 plastic bottles from the Earth's oceans yep. prior to them actually getting there, just because kind of our, you know, full circle kind of yep. uh, uh, yep. approach to what we're what we're doing right we're yep. we're you know applying plastic uh to the earth and so we're trying to remove it uh yep. prior to it having an impact um but what we're doing with a lot of our packaging so our mm -hmm. direct consumer packaging which i mentioned is 60 to 70 percent of our, our gross annual business is online direct consumer mm -hmm. is we're using really environmentally sustainable biodegradable compostable packaging um for that last mile direct consumer box that is really cool so in the u.s we're currently using a product called uh green cell foam Mm. It's made out of recycled corn. Cool. Um, they encourage you to burn it, to pour water on it, to yeah. uh, bury it, whatever you want. It's just a, it's a, it's a corn-based product. It'll disappear. Yeah, it'll disappear, and um, and uh, that's really cool, and that's been great. It's just as effective as, say, using polyurethane like like plastic, yeah, uh, or or styrofoam, and uh, uh, but it's completely biodegradable and compostable. And so that's really been really cool. Uh, mm. It's kind of just and our effort to kind of reduce the impact that we already know that we're making. Yeah. 
Yeah. And yep. um, same with our cardboard boxes, our corrugated boxes are all 100 fully, uh, fully recyclable and curbside yep. recyclable. Yeah. Uh, in Canada, we're using a, pro- a product, I believe it's called TempGuard uh, from Crawford Packaging. Okay. And it's the same thing. It's 100% um, curbside recyclable uh, recycled cardboard. Mm-hmm. So it's recycled cardboard that gets broken down into kind of like a, um, I don't know, like a, almost like a, like a, almost like a foam or like a, yeah, but it's made out of recycled cardboard. Interesting. Goes, I'll look it up. Goes, yeah, and that goes inside yeah. of craft, in craft paper and mm-hmm. it's fully, fully recyclable as well. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it is difficult, uh, from a business perspective as a business strategy, as well as a consumer strategy to use, uh, pet plastic bottles. Again, mm-hmm. you understand it's kind of like the, the, for us, it's the best of the worst uh, yeah. options. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're trying to do our best to kind of be as environmentally conscious as possible, yeah. given the product that we sell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. To kind of reduce our impact for sure. Well, the other great thing about PET is that there is an infrastructure that's in place to collect, sort, and recycle it as well. And that's exactly, not always yeah. the case with a lot of different plastics and materials. Like it might be a, a really great idea to implement something like something that's compostable, but the back end to support that end of life system isn't in place. And we find that's the case with a lot of flexibles here in mm-hmm. uh, in Vancouver and Canada in general. So it's cool yeah. that you guys have found some solutions. Yeah. And I, and actually BC has been uh, one of the leaders in kind of that innovation of recycling pet plastic yeah. uh, through the BC Bottling Co. And then in Alberta, <clears throat> they have a similar, mm-hmm. uh, similar program. It hasn't really reached the Maritimes in Quebec. Really? Okay. As, at, at such a, at such a, you know, uh, the impact that the BC and the Alberta uh, bottling co-ops are having, but yeah. Um, we're That's both signed. Yeah, we're signed up with both the BC and the and the Alberta one yeah. uh, to ensure that where possible, the bottles are fully recyclable, uh, recycled yeah. as well uh, yeah. through de- through deposit returns and things like that. Right. Got it. Yeah, yeah. And that whole offsetting model is becoming more and more popular with businesses too. I actually had Repurpose Global on the podcast. It was probably yep. six months ago now, yep. and that was a great conversation because yeah, a lot of people their hands are sort of tied as to what materials they can use based on the product that they're selling and the shelf life expectations that they mm-hmm. have, but they still want to do good. So, you know, removing plastic from the environment to offset the plastic that they're putting in does make sense. So you can have like a, a neutral sort of uh, collection, or you can have a, uh, a negative collection where they're pulling more than what you're putting out, which a lot of the businesses that I'm working with here at Food Pack uh, that are engaged in an offsetting program are going uh, negative, which is really good to see. Yeah, very yeah. cool. That's cool. Mate, what have we missed in the conversation that's important that everybody needs to hear about either pulp and press or uh, some things that you've learned along the way? I mean, this is your job, Hayden. No, you're supposed to ask the questions, not put me on the spot. I feel spot. like I've asked them all. Yeah, not put me on the spot and say, what do we miss? I mean, I mean, you know what? It's it's. I've only been in this space for roughly five years. Yeah. Um, And of those five years, only a couple of them have actually been more retail facing consumer facing mm-hmm. like actually involved in the environment um it's a really cool industry i can't i can't say that enough yeah. um it's very inviting and very engaging it challenges you in ways that you didn't know you could be challenged uh from just learning right i figured when i was done university i was done with learning yeah with learning it's you know, not the it, case is it no and the, <laughs> the number of like webinars i and podcasts that i listen yeah. to, to just try yeah. to stay on top of it yeah. the amount of people that i just schedule meetings and calls with that the only purpose is that I know that you can fuel me more than I'm yeah. already, than more than I already, with more information than I already have. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. There's some people that have invested their entire careers into the CPG space mm-hmm. and I can see why mm-hmm. um, it's, it's just a very engaging environment and uh, spending more and more time on LinkedIn. I was never a social, uh, social media guy, yeah. but there's so much information out there and <clears throat> information is king. Yeah. 
in this space. I think yeah. in all in all spaces, to be honest with you, but especially in the space that I'm currently living in. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing more than your competitors yeah. and knowing more about your consumer than maybe they know about themselves. Yeah. And knowing more about your the retailers that you want to get in bed with mm. um, is really, really important. You need to arm yourselves with yourself with knowledge about specific to the person that you want to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to, you know, adequately go in and and, and land that business uh, with a perceived minimal amount of, of effort, right? Mm. And so it's just knowing what you're getting yourself into. It, it can't be ad hoc. You can't just send an email, cold call, and hope that you're going to land business. You have to know exactly what you're doing. You're wasting your time. Yeah, you're wasting your time. And yeah. there's so many avenues to generate revenue. Uh, Palm Press recently got into the food service space, working with Cisco and oh, cool. hotels and airports yeah. and the on route and uh, and just different, you know, food service. There's so many different areas where you can sell your product mm-hmm. that you shouldn't limit yourself to say just e-commerce or just marketplace uh, e-commerce business yeah. or just uh, your big banners. There's yeah. tons of indies out there that, uh, as well that will support a, a very large portion of your business that you can't neglect. Yeah. Um, the other thing is you have to understand that you can't put the, what is it? You can't put the cart before the horse. horse is that what yeah. They say? yeah, that is what they say. Yeah. You have to have everything in order before you can approach certain places. So mm-hmm. whether your distribution network is weak or your sales team is weak or your broker network is weak, um, we've noticed that we've gone after certain retailers without having our ducks in a row yeah and it's and it's bitten us right yeah. so in the u.s space we tried to reach out to safeway and albertson's and cvs and kroger's and they say well where's this where's this where's this where's this and we said what are you talking about i don't need any of that like we can just go and they're like pump yeah, your brakes no. yep canadian guy like <laughs> you you need to have these things figured out yeah very efficiently because we're you know cvs is like you know ten thousand stores it's insane isn't it yeah <laughs> like the size of the market in the states blows my mind yeah you yeah. can't just you can't just come here and tell us that you're ready to go <clears throat> when you don't even have this set or this so yeah um it's it's really you really have to understand the landscape and the space that you're trying to work within yeah because it can really come back to bite you. Yeah. And, uh, and I, again, I think that's really unique to the CPG space. Yeah, no, it is. You know, you said a couple of important things there. Like, you know, there are so many different places that you can dabble to generate extra revenue, but then you also said the dichotomy to that in that you've got to have your ducks in a row. Yeah. And I think that, you know, within the first couple of years of getting your business up and running, you've got to really focus, you know, on one or two channels, absolutely nail them, get the, um, revenue generated, get your cash flow in line and then you can look elsewhere especially once you start to build the team out as well like you've got mm-hmm. to have the infrastructure in place yeah which it's is exactly really, what really, you said it's critical it's really important yeah. yeah yeah and uh like for example we were listed with cisco when i first came on board <clears throat> in 2018 mm-hmm. and we had like no net new business in several years and we were barely in warehouse yeah and we ended up getting delisted did you and it was yeah. only just recently in the last you know, a couple of months that we reinitiated that opportunity with Cisco mm-hmm. and we onboarded several hotels, but, and, and then on route and some other uh, large banners here in, in Ontario. Um, but it was, let's not just try to get listed with Cisco. Let's be able to bring Cisco all of this opportunity yeah. that is going to support the opening of that, of that opco or that yeah. distribution center. Yeah. yeah and yeah. Uh, before it was like, just list us and we'll figure it out afterwards. You were kind of and, expecting yeah. Cisco to do the legwork, you know, exactly. whereas that's the not case. the case at all. Is yeah. it? Yeah. No, I know. Yeah. And even when it comes to like, you know, broker management, it's not the yeah. same. Like, you know, they're an extension of your sales team, but they're not yeah. your sales team. Yeah. You need to, you need to be in charge and lead your team mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and tell them 
what you want to do and when you want to do it and how you want to do it. And then they are the ones that will, you know, uh, action it. Yeah. But you need to be, you need to be ready to, you know, direct them. And again, that was a, a common, uh, maybe a, a, a naivety on our side is we just thought, oh, you're going to hire a broker and they're just going to get you sales. Well, no, <laughs> like that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be fully involved and fully engaged in that relationship with them um, to really maximize their, the output. Mm, that's important mate you've been at it for a while now where are you taking the business like what's the next five years look like and obviously like the economy and the state of the world could shift tomorrow however like what is the plan some days i feel like we don't know what we're doing tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) but 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 right now uh being new in the u.s um is is really big for us growing out that market the u.s is 10 times the size of Canada and therefore should be 10 times the opportunity available. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're focusing on retail expansion across the US on a national level. We're focusing on growing our existing business in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think where we see the most opportunity over the next at least couple of two to three years is on the retail side of things. We've, mm-hmm. We're very saturated in the in the e-commerce space. Um, it's very not you know, it's very well established for us. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to say that it, you know, it runs itself, but um it's a lot of business as usual in the yeah. e-commerce space and just keeping yeah. up on trends. Yeah. But uh, we've, we've put all the things in place for it to basically, you know, you change a couple numbers and and off it goes. Yeah. Um, a lot of our growth right now that we're looking to see is in both uh, food service and uh, conventional retail across uh, the U S and then also yeah. growing out our marketplace business. So again, focusing more on Amazon, on mm-hmm. Costco, on different uh, marketplace opportunities, both in yeah. Canada and the US, where there's a ton of opportunity that we've left kind of untouched, while we focused on growing again, conventional retail and e-commerce yeah. on our native website here in Canada. So, uh, despite being around for the last eight years or nine years or so, um, we've really, I feel like scratched the surface on the opportunity for Pulp and Press in both mm. Canada and the U S. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, in the, in the rear view, there's always, uh, opportunities in Europe and things mm. like that as well, where with a six month shelf life, which is virtually unheard of in our space, we're seeing yeah. a lot of our competitors with anywhere from, you know, 35 to maybe 90 days, wow. we're seeing 180 days, um, going overseas, uh, is, is very attainable. Yeah. And so not to say that it's going to be happening in the next, you know, short while, it's, but I think it's it, nice five, to have on the possibility years, list Yeah. in five years. I, 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 I think we're hoping to be more of a global brand. Wow. Um, expanding into new product lines. Yeah, you know, we want to uh, dabble within the cold press juice space more. Yeah, uh, bringing out new innovative ingredients and things like that. Again, staying on top of trends. Again, that's recently- what I was going to ask. Yeah, yeah, like juices. For some people, go. You know what, man? Juice is juice. Like you can only put so many combinations together, and away you go. But where is the innovation? Like, what is the market doing specifically? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say because a lot of people <laughs> are doing a lot of different things. Again, we've recently come out with more superfood elixirs, like elderberry and wheatgrass and things like Turmeric. that yeah. uh you yeah using things like activated charcoal and hemp protein and different kind of uh spirulina and different ingredients like that but um you're seeing a lot of companies now come out with like adaptogenic juices and probiotic beverages and, and things like that uh you see people coming out with uh, more unique kind of 
I don't know what the word would be, but you kind of more unique ingredients like just using kiwi and mm. acai and things mm-hmm. like that that are are you know more more rare to see in say a cold pressed juice yeah. predominantly around because they're expensive, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And you and you don't and you don't want to change the costing on your product. It's already expensive. Yeah, I can um, imagine, especially when everything is organic as well, because that comes at a premium. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. again, and then like again, it's again economies of scale. If you can't buy, you know, several pallets of kiwis, mm-hmm. well, then you can't afford to run this production because you have to produce a hundred thousand bottles of it, and you don't yep. have the ingredients for it. So it's also using the produce and the fruit and vegetables that are available to you. Yeah, in mass quantity. Yeah. But uh, the innovation around again, like pulp and presses, looking to dabble outside of the cold press juice space as well. Yeah, right. Just kind of getting into different product lines that would be complementary to the traditional okay. tried and true juices. Yeah. And uh, I won't share more on that now, but again, uh, there's some cool innovation that I think you'll be seeing in the next you know six to 12 months cool. from pulp press that will yep. be uh, that'll be again very complimentary to what we're already doing um we have a large consumer following on online and mm-hmm. so we're hoping that they're uh, receptive of of some new products that we're going to be launching in the, in the you know in the not so distant future and are so, you going to do a little bit of testing with them always yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah and uh do little focus groups and yeah. kind of just uh, first to market strategies in, you know, in a region, right? Like is, yeah. if it works in Ontario, yeah. you know, it should work elsewhere. If it works yeah. in California, it'll work yeah. elsewhere. So yeah. yeah, absolutely. There's always kind of that innovative go-to-market strategy of, of just testing, yeah. make sure that people are receptive of it. Um, but it's not like we're, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel. We're just yeah. kind of perfecting the wheel, right? Yeah. That's a good way to put it actually, because, you know, a lot of people do try and reinvent the wheel and along the way they break it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you, know, it's they, like, you know, especially on something that can be kept really simple, you know, like keeping it, there's something to be said about just keeping a business model simple. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Yeah. And again, you have to ask yourself sometimes why has no one done this before? Mm. And it's normally... There's a reason why someone hasn't done this before, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're not, you, you know, you're not normally unique in a lot of your ideas. Yeah. And if it hasn't been done before, it, there's normally a reason behind it. Mm. Uh, so you have to be very careful of what sort of innovation you're working with because yeah. if it hasn't been done before, it's probably because, because somebody thought about it mm-hmm. and there was a lot of reasons you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And so if you can take a product or take an idea that exists and just really perfect it, which I think we've done in the cold press juice space, mm-hmm. um, you'll find that consumers are attracted to the best of the best, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you, when you go out, you're not normally buying the cheapest product. A lot of mm-hmm. consumers aren't buying the cheapest product, especially, especially at the moment. Yeah. And especially in a, in, in a premium, in a, in a premium <laughs> environment, like cold pressed juice, mm-hmm. um, if it's 50 cents or a dollar more, you're sometimes attracted to the, the attributes of it more so than the price. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, you're, it's not like you're buying a loaf of bread. Sometimes it's a lot easier to just grab wonder bread because it's there and it's a lot cheaper than, yeah. Something a little bit more a sourdough. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. No, it's but, interesting. Uh, it's already a premium product. So if you're attracted to the premium products in general, you're normally willing to spend mm-hmm. a little bit more for the quality one instead of oh, the one that just exists there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Man, if you had the opportunity to go back to before you started at Pulpit Press with the knowledge that you have now, what business advice would you give yourself? Where do you get these questions from? These are great questions. Just up here, uh, mate. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's hard to say because when I left my previous business, you know, I had that big question of, you know, is the grass greener? Mm. 
right? Is this mm-hmm. going to be better than what I currently have? Because the unknown is the unknown for a reason. It's not known. And so I would say that, you know, the advice I would give myself is to, is to jump, just take the risk sometimes mm-hmm. of exploring something new, mm-hmm. especially like we spoke about earlier, if you're in a position where you wake up and you're like, I can't wait to be done work and you haven't even gone in yet. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. eight 55, you go, you're part, you're sitting up front of the office in your car and you're like, I can't wait for this day to be over. You've mm-hmm. been there. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're in that position, it's like jump, take the risk and move on to something. Hopefully for you, the grass is going to be greener, but don't settle for something less than what you know you're worth. Mm. And I think that's what the position that I was in prior to Paul press was, should I jump? Because I, I I was running this business. I had it pretty decent, but there's a lot of toxic uh, things in the environment that I was mm. working in. Mm-hmm. And it was like, should I jump? And should I make this huge change? My wife was pregnant with our now firstborn. Mm. Um, she was just finishing up school, I believe. And it was like, should we, can we make this switch? Because if mm. it's not, if it doesn't work out, then, then um, back to the drawing board. Yeah. Back to the drawing board. And mm. so uh, I would say if you're in a position where you're not happy with the environment that you're in, jump and take mm. the risk and the grass should be greener for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and on a, you know, on a, on a business side, it's like, you'll never fully give yourself to a job that you don't like. Yeah. And you need to be, you need to be doing something you enjoy, I think. Mm-hmm. And to, for both personal gratification and mm-hmm. from a, a, a career growth, growth perspective, if you're not doing something you enjoy, you'll never excel to your full potential. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that means you'll never make as much money as you want to make. You'll never have the autonomy you want to have. You'll mm-hmm. never be happy waking up and saying, I'm looking forward to going to work. Yeah, and that's true. I would say if you're, if you're, if you're in that position, jump, Yeah, take, take the risk. Agreed. Mate, it's kind of funny. It's not as if it just creeps up on you one day where you love your job and then the next day you hate it. It's something that occurs over time. And I've always told myself, like, if I pick up on that little niggle, I'm going to pick up on it early and I'm going to leave before I get to a point where I hate the job. You know, I prefer to leave on good terms. I prefer to leave when everybody's happy, when I'm still motivated to come in, even though I'm going in the back of my mind, you know what, I'm going to start exploring other opportunities. Mm -hmm. I've told myself that if that is the case, that's what I'm going to do. And I think it's important to recognize that niggle early. Yeah. And a lot of people don't, and they end Mm -hmm. up staying in a career because it's a a secure paycheck. Mm -hmm. It meets their minimum requirements, uh, you know, for on a daily and yearly, whatever it is basis. And they just get comfortable being comfortable, not enjoying what they're doing. And I don't yeah. think that's the right, the right no, approach to, uh, cause you spend, what are they, what do they say? So you spend, you know, a certain percentage of your life working and the and other percentage large, of your life sleeping. <laughs> yeah. And so there's a very, yeah. uh, a very small portion of that where you're, you're on your own doing what you want to, mm-hmm. what you're actually passionate about. Yeah. And so in those hours when you're working, it should be something that gives you some sort of self-gratitude. Yeah. Uh, and if it's not, you got to find that, I think, and uh, because it's, you get one life and it's not worth, you know, dedicating it to someone who doesn't appreciate, appreciate yeah. you and that you don't appreciate either. Yeah, exactly. So um, find something that you, that you love doing and that you enjoy doing that you're passionate about, or that you can become passionate about. Mm-hmm. Because to say that I was passionate about cold pressed juice and the CPG space five years ago would be a, a, a far, a far cry, right? It was not the case. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Yeah. And I took that jump and it was yeah. very risky yeah. and uncomfortable. Yeah. And I had no idea what to expect. Um, I trusted my friend who's the, who's the founder mm. and, or the owner, sorry, of, of Pulp and Press. And, um, and I trusted that he would not bring me into an environment that I would hate. Yeah. And again, luckily it's, it's paid off in spades. That's awesome, um, man. Yeah. And so I hope that it would be the case for everyone who decides yeah. to make 
the same jump. Yeah. Uh, normally it can't be any worse than what you left. So exactly. Yeah. There's only one way, but up hopefully if hopefully. that's the case, <laughs> exactly. Well, mate, congratulations on finding a, a job that you love and uh, congratulations on all of the success at pop and press. It sounds like you guys are on an amazing trajectory and I'm excited to keep on watching you guys grow. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks for having me on again. I'm glad that you're enjoying your time at food pack yeah, and, uh, and the podcast has been great. I'm a, an avid listener. So oh, thank you very I was much. excited when we spoke about coming on and I was eager to, uh, uh, hear a lot about what you do and how you do it uh, because it's, it seems like you've been very successful in your space as well. So thank you. Well, mate, it's a work in progress like everybody. And, you know, I just chip away one day at a time and, you know, I've got my eye on the prize and I think it's important to understand that these things don't happen overnight either. So yeah, no, it's going very well. Thank you. Good stuff. Mate, <laughs> if anybody did want to reach out, um, what's the best way to go about it? You know what? LinkedIn is fantastic. Just find me uh, Devin Powell, D-V-I-N-P-O-W-E-L-L. Always happy to have a conversation. Um, if you're in my area, let's grab a coffee. Um, always eager to connect. Great. Well, listen, mate, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Have a thanks, good one. Thanks, Talk to you. Bye. Okay. Thanks again for tuning in to episode 116 with Devin Powell from Pulp and Press. As always, if you have any questions or comments from the conversation, please visit my LinkedIn profile where I'll post up each week's episode. So all of the information that you could possibly need will be down in the show notes for you. So scroll on down and click on the link. And uh, yeah, thanks again for listening in and I look forward to having you back here next week. Cheers. Cheers.